0: Hey everyone, this is Mike Graham, uh, the producer and co-host of Pop Psych 101. And before we get this episode going, I just kind of wanted to jump in and give a bit of a disclaimer. So we are going over Silver Linings Playbook this episode. And this movie covers bipolar disorder pretty extensively in the first part of it. And I just wanted to let everyone know that I'm not going to do a lot of cutting and editing a little bit, but not a lot. This movie particularly was very hard for me to talk about. I am bipolar, as I've already said on the show. Uh, so we're going to be talking a lot about that. And it's Mental Health Awareness Week. And I, I just want to make sure that I'm as transparent as possible with my own issues because I, I want people to be able to do this and, and talk about it in just normal everyday conversation you're probably going to hear me stumbling uh, forgetting what I'm talking about this movie was incredibly triggering for me we even talk about that word a little bit you'll hear me forgetting what I'm saying I just I really struggled through this one and uh, we've recorded a couple episodes already and we haven't experienced this happen yet so I just wanted to give you guys a heads up on that so if it does sound like we're struggling it's because I was struggling I hope you do enjoy it though we really get to a good place in the end and I think that there's a lot of meat here and a lot of, I think there's a lot of things to learn that you can take away even more so than just the movie. So, all right, guys, enjoy it. In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling... Therapist Ryan Ingolstadt and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101.
1: Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am therapist Ryan Engelstad here, as always, with my executive producer, Mike Graham.
0: Well, hello, Ryan. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Mike. Thank you. And I'm very excited to be talking to you today about Silver Linings Playbook.
0: Absolutely. Yep, me too.
1: So we should clarify for the listeners up front that we are talking specifically about the movie in today's episode. I know there are some differences in regards to the movie versus the book we're focusing on the movie starring Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence and Robert De Niro and a whole bunch of other very fine actors. But before we get into the movie, being that it's Mental Health Awareness Week, Mike, I thought that maybe you'd have some some thoughts or things you might want to share with the audience off the top in regards to your own experience and what maybe Mental Health Awareness Week means for you.
0: Sure, absolutely. Uh, and thank you for that. So, As I mentioned in last week's episode, uh, that I'm bipolar and I have depression issues as well, sort of going hand-to-hand. However, we're doing Silver Linings this week. It is Mental Health Awareness Week, and I—well, the character in Silver Linings is is bipolar. So it it was kind of interesting researching this particular movie for myself because of the feelings that kind of came up while watching it, which we'll talk about in the episode. But being Mental Health Awareness Week, I, I want to thank Ryan. I want to thank just everyone that has been listening so far. Uh, starting this podcast has been a really good thing. Uh, it's kind of brought me into the frame of mind of beginning an advocacy for mental health awareness and very serious about that. I know there's a lot of people out there fighting for that, and it's, it's a good thing to fight for, and I'm happy to be joining that fight. Living with mental illness can be very, very difficult and there's not always the support that you need out there, but we are out there online. there's there's places to find it. there's there's places to go and there, there's people that that want to listen and that want to care for you. If you don't have it in your you know, physical life, you can find that online. But I just think that it's very important for uh, our show and myself specifically to just keep pushing the fact that we want to spread that awareness out there. And so, My main thing is if you don't know what to do, if this isn't something that you deal with, I'm, I'm suggesting to people that this is kind of an area that doesn't affect their life, but they are concerned about, or maybe we've inspired them or they're inspired by anybody you Yeah. So you can donate to the American foundation for suicide prevention. That's the one that I've been promoting this week, but that's a great way to jump in is, is to find something in the realm that, that is in the mental health, the health realm and donate. If you don't know what else to do, that's a good place to start. Uh, But but an also great place to start is if you know someone that's dealing with anything is to just offer acceptance and uh, believe them and let them know that you have their back.
1: Fantastic. And that's definitely a theme that comes up in the movie that we're going to talk about today, which we mentioned up top, which is Silver Linings Playbook. With that, thank you for your for your thoughts and and I obviously echo that sentiment as a therapist. Whether it's creating something or sharing something about your experience, finding that way to seek out that acceptance and validation can really create some positive support. There's obviously some some fear and some risk involved for a lot of people, but on the other side of that is progress and is growth. So so thank you, Mike. I'm thrilled to be doing this with you. And with that, let's jump into the movie. Yes, sir. What are you kidding me? Sundays? I love Sundays. I live for Sundays. The whole family's together. Mom makes Brajol. Dad puts the jersey on. We're all watching the game. Yeah, it drives me crazy. And yes, I was negative. You didn't even know that I loved it, Nikki. but I did. I just didn't appreciate it or you before. Come on. Time to go. I lost all that. I blew it. But you also blew it. We can get it back. We're gonna get it back. It's all gonna be better now. I'm better now, and I hope you are, too. And I'm going to appreciate it. Hey, I'll be there in a minute, okay? Doctor's waiting. Let's go. I'll be there in a minute. That's
0: true love. All right, we are doing Silver Linings Playbook this week. And, guys, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give, uh, going forward, I'm going to give a very quick synopsis. If you haven't seen the movie, we're not necessarily going to be going through beginning to end uh, but we, we're going to be just talking about our questions and concerns specifically relating to the mental health issues in the specific uh, media that we are covering that week. But I do want to give a quick synopsis, but, but definitely go and watch the movie if any of this interests you or even watch it before if you feel like that helps prepare you. So this is Silver Linings Playbook. It stars Bradley Cooper as Pat Jennifer Lawrence as Tiffany, Robert De Niro as Pat Sr., and like Ryan said, many other fine actors, but I believe those are going to be probably the main three people that get talked about today. This movie is about Pat and his uh, issues with his bipolar disorder. The main issues in this movie, he is longing for his ex-wife who has left him over a big incident that happened with him, a fight that he got in, and... So he's kind of chasing his wife down. In the midst of all this, he meets the Jennifer Lawrence character, Tiffany, who is also presenting some sort of mental uh, health issues and this kind of thing. The movie just kind of follows them through their interactions with each other. Uh, They join together and start dancing together as a way it becomes a bonding thing for them and a lot more. Basically, the movie follows these two characters and how they interact with each other and, and the way the world sees mental health, and, and that's basically what the movie is about.
1: Yeah, so fantastic summary, and obviously, you and I have different viewpoints as we watch a movie like Silver Linings Playbook. There are some scenes, several scenes, as especially in the initial sort of third of the movie with Pat and his therapist, Dr. Patel, So that's obviously really interesting for me, seeing a a therapist portrayed on screen. And I'm sure really interesting for you as well because of those particular interactions. Right. So I thought actually we could start there. You know, obviously Pat comes out of the inpatient institution that he has been in for eight months um, following the incident, as it's referred to in the movie. Right. Which is Pat walking in on his wife at the time. With the history teacher with tenure, who is their both of their coworkers at the school that they work at, his wife essentially is is in the midst of an affair. Pat walks in on that, freaks out, and I think as he says with his therapist at one point, I I beat the guy, or I almost beat the guy to death.
0: Yeah, he he aggressively attacks him and beats the guy up. Yeah, puts him in the hospital. I think. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, so that's where the incident begins. He gets sent to a mental hospital. The, the movie starts with him getting out of there, and very shortly after there, you see him talking about how he had late diag, he was late, di- being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and he's uh, talking to his therapist for the first time. And uh, I believe this is a big issue for Ryan. It was a big issue for me.
1: Yeah, so he's he's resistant to go see this therapist, but his parents, both basically read him the riot act if he does not go to therapy, essentially he'll have to go back to inpatient or other possible consequences. So he consents to going to see Dr. Patel, and in this first office visit, he's in the waiting room, and he hears what we find out is his wedding song. He starts accusing the receptionist of playing it and sort of messing with him. He starts to have a a breakdown. He starts throwing magazines around, kicking furniture in the office, and then we come to find out that his therapist, Dr. Patel, actually intentionally had it played to, quote-unquote, see if it was still a trigger for him. That was a messed up thing you did, Dr. Patel, all right? That's a messed up thing. I'm sorry, but that's...
0: You can call me Cliff, please. Yeah,
1: well, Cliff, that's not the way you're supposed to meet people, okay? So write that down in your, in your I don't know, what, your little book you write stuff down in? I'm sorry about that song. I just wanted to see if it was still a trigger for you.
0: Right. And if anyone's ever been in therapy, and Ryan being a therapist, this kind of, you went, huh? What? Uh, He 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 played a song that he read in his medical history was a trigger for him and aggressive behavior, and he's playing it in in his own uh, waiting room to see if he acts out. I thought it was a weird.
1: Yeah, well, right, especially for the first meeting with your therapist to to be tested that way and to have your to already be sort of distrusting of this person that you're supposed to trust. Mm-hmm. With all of your deepest, darkest feelings and thoughts. And, and yeah, I was I was shocked, to say the least. You know, if you want your patient to come back for a second session, uh, it's safe to say that is not the best way to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, although Pat Bradley Cooper's character, he just kind of rolls with it. He does. He does. He. Uh, the movie is it's a really funny movie to begin with. That's just kind of the way his character is. He everything just sort of bounces off of him, and that too just sort of bounces off of him. He doesn't even hold a grudge or really give him too much grief over it at all. Yeah, it's true, and and because
1: I think the things that Pat is giving grief or is giving resistance about are coming in other places. So he doesn't want to take his medication. Right. He wants to exercise mm-hmm. all the time. He does not want to interact with his family. He, right. So he, yeah. So yeah. Go
0: ahead. Uh, so yeah. So he when he gets back out of the mental institution for the incident uh he he is at home with his parents his two adult i think in their 60s parents i mean he's in his 30s it appears and so he's he's living at home he's talking about how like i said he was uh diagnosed late in life with bipolar disorder but he's not wanting to take his meds because he feels foggy he he's having all these but he's having all these issues too. And it's just uh I just saw a bunch in there that I could totally relate to, especially with the medicine stuff. Um sorry. That's okay. Okay, just just go, I I had a point I forgot what I was talking about. I'll just erase it. Yeah no so
1: so yeah so and I think that's that's a very common experience for people this sort of hesitancy to be taking medications or in Pat's medication uh, situation, multiple medications, whether it's because he feels foggy or it feels like it has other side effects, he does not want to take his meds. And in these first days out of inpatient, that has some severe consequences for him. So it's un, it's unfortunate, you know. And I, I do see this a lot with my patients. That I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna yeah, ask that if well, yeah, it, is this sometimes it takes serious consequences for people to sort of then being willing to take that step, which to them might feel drastic or unnecessary.
0: And that was a question I had this week was, so that was something I really related to with this character, him being bipolar, me being bipolar, and medication. The the medications for mood disorders, uh, antipsychotics or anti-seizure medicines. I mean, there's a bunch of them, Seroquel. Trazodone, Abilify. Uh, he talks about all three of those in the movie, and, it, and it's crazy because I've been on all of those. Uh, and he also talks about how they kind of they knock you down, they put you on the floor, and so people are very resistant to that. I felt very empathetic to that. But my question is, is so I felt that was very true to life. Is is this with this specific disorder? Do you see people with? bipolar I don't know how often you've seen people with this disorder but when you see this do they often fight the medication
1: yeah and and so it's specific to bipolar in some ways but it's also generalized to to the broader mental health spectrum you know I'll have people who are experiencing great progress on medication feeling more stable being able to interact socially being able to get a job but still in the back of their head their goal is to get off medication
0: yeah I, and I, I feel that I can't tell you how many cycles I've been through where I finally say, okay, I'll take the meds. I take the meds. And then what happens the second I start feeling better? Well, I don't need the meds anymore. Right. You convince yourself of that. Yeah. It, well, because it feels that way. It yeah. feels like you're, oh, I'm cured. I just needed to get through that patch. And mm-hmm. Now that I'm better, I can... I can start over. This cycle can be, uh, begin anew.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, it's a cliche, but in the, the mental health world, we, we try to compare mental illness to other diseases that have maintenance medication, you know, medication that you have to be on or treatment that you have to take to be stable, to be healthy. Things like diabetes, where if you don't have the proper ongoing regimen, whether that be um, insulin or diet, if you do not take your medicine, or if you do not have your diet in place, you will have consequences. And and people resist that because they don't want to think of their mental illness as uh, a weakness, something that they want to feel like they have more control over it. Essentially, and Pat is is very similar in this respect.
0: I, I definitely agree with that. So uh, going forward, he he's seeing his therapist, uh, but very soon into that, you do meet his father, is another guy that we're going to be talking about today, Pat Senior, played by Robert De Niro. And I think maybe, Ryan, if you want to speak to what you think about this character, I can say that what you see on screen and you see it just about immediately, I think they're trying to portray some sort of genetic trait happening. But his dad is very obsessive about things. He's he's very ritualistic about the football team, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, He has to have things in a certain order or they will not win. There has to be certain people in the room where they will not win. His life is almost based around this. He was he used to go to every game but would get into so many fights that he's now banned for life from going to the Eagles game. So it there's there's some things going on here and I mean I can't say what and I'm I'm kind of what's going on with with Robert De Niro's character? Pat senior
1: and Pat junior, Bradley Cooper's character Pat calls him out, essentially calls him OCD. You know, he says when he's referring to some of these behaviors, the, you know, the positioning of remotes, the he does, yeah. special handkerchief. He's like, oh, that's OCD, dad. I can't be around that. And there's there's definitely some truth to that. I mean, OCD, you know, we think of as, as being in line with sort of some anxiety disorders, things that Pat also exhibits in some regards.
0: So it, I was wondering that when I saw it. So he said, you, uh, oh, don't be so OCD. And I felt like he kind of said that in the way that that you hear a lot of people say, "Oh, I'm so OCD about this," but it's 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 sort of a uh, uh, hyperbole. But it, is that what you're seeing? Is he actually like showing uh, like obsessive compulsive things here?
1: So it's it's tough to say. We don't see enough of Pat Senior to be able to say for sure if he okay. would be diagnosed OCD. Knowing sports fans. I know a lot of people who have maybe not to this degree. Oh, uh, if the team's losing, I got to take the dog for a walk and then things get better. You know, that's that's because that's, you know, it's, as Pat Sr. calls it, the good juju or the bad juju. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some of those things are, are what we consider within normal range. But I think for Pat, especially with the sort of genetic component that we're seeing with Pat Jr., there's probably a little bit more going on than we get a full picture of in the movie.
0: OK, and that's that's kind of what I thought. I, I thought they were just they're trying to show us some sort of like this is a passed down thing or at least, it. you know, when things run in the family, it's kind of this way. So we meet we meet the family. He's got a wonderful mother who, however, is is a little I wouldn't say doting, but um, kind of kind of um, and is a bit of an enabler and, and does some things for him that she probably shouldn't be doing it, like picking him up from the mental hospital earlier than she should have. So he, he goes to, he finally meets up with some old friends and Pat meets up with his friend um, and his friend's wife and they go to dinner. And this is when we meet the Jennifer Lawrence character. And, and there's a ton of questions about her. Um, I, I, I'm wondering what's going on with her in general. They, they, they start talking to each other. They have an instant kind of connection, but they're both very intense with each other. And and I'm, I'm just wondering if you can kind of chime in and, and say what's going on with her. Yeah, so Jennifer Lawrence's
1: character, Tiffany Maxwell, who's the younger sister of Pat's friend's wife. While Pat was in Inpatient, uh, Tiffany's husband, who is a cop, dies on the job. So we know that she's dealing with, at the very least, some grief and loss. And to that extent, that has caused some amount of depression, anxiety, impulsive behaviors, for sure. You know, Tiffany doesn't come out and say exactly what she's diagnosed with in the course of the movie. Right. But she does share what medication she's been on, Xanax, which is typically prescribed for anxiety or panic. And effectsor, which is an antidepressant, so at the very least we can say Tiffany is suffering from perhaps some combination of anxiety and depression tied to the grief and loss of the loss of her husband so and so that and that's you know to be honest a, a fairly i won't say typical response, but you know we can understand we know because she's lost her husband it's it's understandable for you to have a reaction to that now tiffany's reaction is intense in the way that she responds to other people as she shares in the movie becomes very promiscuous for a period of time. That behavior comes out in other ways as well. You know, socially she's uh, sort of provocative. She can be a little bit is similar to, to, Pat sort of have these mood swings up and down in the course of Pat and Tiffany's initial interactions. So she's an interesting character, but over the course of the movie, similar to Pat, you know, once things start to stabilize, whether it be due to Pat starting to take his medication or Pat and Tiffany now forming this sort of healthy bond with one another, um, that they both seem to find a a semblance of balance.
0: And I think the big thing with this movie, and it it really is as far as like what we're trying to do with this movie, and it's very straightforward about what's going on. Um, And the questions that that we're going to have are going to be uh, much more, I think, intensive as far as how you know? Okay, Bradley Cooper's character is at the beginning of the movie just acting just so wild. It hold on a 2nd I'm sorry, Ryan. I I don't know what's going on. I just am not. Can't.
1: You want to jump into some of my questions? Maybe we could go that way.
0: Yeah, I don't know why. It's like this movie seems to be really hard to talk about.
1: That's okay. Well, I mean that that's that, that's real for you.
0: I can't think of um. What to I can't think of things to say.
1: <laughs> okay. So let, let me jump into my questions because I have some okay. things that can lead us um specifically. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, I apologize.
1: <clears throat> no, it's okay. Um, so yeah, so in the initial interactions between Tiffany and Pat, you can see that they have this mutual recognition and validation of one another. They get really excited talking to each other about medication. Tiffany even asked him to walk her home. So she immediately latches on to Pat, seeing mm-hmm. that. This is a person who might be able to understand her. So my question for you, Mike, and, and you know, previous episodes, you've been asking me questions, but being that it's Mental Health Awareness Week, I thought to the degree that you're comfortable maybe sharing some of your own experiences. Oh, absolutely. What's it been like for you, presuming that you have found that mutual recognition or validation like Pat did with Tiffany?
0: Well, um, you, you mean like with their relationship, right? So, yeah, so certainly potentially with the relationship. I mean, not like, not, lo- not as in their like, uh, the fact that they may or may not be falling in love with each no, other. No, 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 no. Much just, more. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: so that recognition of, oh, this person gets me.
0: Okay. So, th- uh, it was hard to watch for me, to be honest with you. Uh, I think anyone that, that goes through this stuff could agree. That it can be a very lonely ride it's, if you don't have a person out there that sort of gets you at a basic level, even even the way let's say you're on a team, uh, a baseball team or a soccer team or or whatever, something that you do with other people that or a podcast, you know anything like this, the people that you do that with are going to get that and the little minute things about it and understand your perspective on it. So just like without saying anything. And a lot of times, and this is my situation to answer your question, Ryan, is I don't really have anyone. All, Not that I don't have, that I don't know people that have issues. It's that I don't have a real relationship with some of these people. And so when I see this on screen between Tiffany and Pat, They have an instant connection with each other. Uh, They're clearly both going through something at that very moment, and they attach to each other. And, I mean, feelings of maybe even jealousy come up that I I wish that I had that. You know, I do have a lot of incredibly supportive people, namely my wife and my sister, Uh, but there's still kind of that missing piece of (sighs) no matter what, when you come down and you say, this is what's happening you, there's always that you wonder if, you know, they're gonna run, if that makes sense.
1: Well, right, that essentially that you'll be rejected for the things that you're bringing to the table.
0: Right, and so with bipolar disorder, I've come to find out. I mean, it's it's up there in the chain of things that can happen, or or <laughs> sort of disorders. I mean, it's it's kind of a wild one. It, it's it covers a lot of ground. There's anxiety that comes with depression, mania. It comes with sleeplessness. It comes with aggression, irritability. It co- it can come with psychosis. It can come with auditory hallucinations. So it just it just comes with a whole baggage of things. And so when you when you go to a family member, and you know, I'll just be straightforward. And for me, it was so odd seeing silver linings because I. Uh, I recently started experiencing and this is within the past few months uh started experiencing auditory hallucination. Very slight, it's a subtle thing that's been happening but I've been reporting it to my doctors and I saw Bradley Cooper's character talk about it that yeah. he had some and he was uh experiencing hearing this song and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, like this I mean it's a real thing." And so when I see that in the movie, I'm just like thinking, Oh, I just felt like I am this person, but in real life, if you don't, if you don't have like, I feel like he could set, he could tell Tiffany and he does tell Tiffany about these things. And, and she gets him and she even knows in a scene when it's happening to him and calms him down over it. And just without him even saying, I'm hearing the song, she knows it. But in real life, when you, the, the, it's hard to put, um, How hard it is to tell someone and hope that they take you seriously when you tell them that you're hearing things. That's right. So they won't
1: just sort of brush it off or be like, that's weird or, or, or even that they'll be put off by it.
0: It's strange. I think the thing that I see the most is people are uncomfortable. Sure. They are, they get awkward. They don't know how to reply. And my belief and my theory on it is it, it comes down to the fact that they don't believe you. Yeah. Because they haven't experienced it themselves. So, it, you know, seeing is believing and there's no way they can see into your mind and know that these things are really happening. So having someone that's on your level that can understand you and believe you and know that these things are real immediately with no question is, is something that is that could, I believe, could be very valuable and I was I was very happy that they found each other, even at the beginning when they were more combative.
1: You know, it's interesting that you started talking about the sort of essential, essentially for you, how this movie was triggering in a way.
0: It was it was. And it's and if anyone is wondering, like, uh, just to be straightforward, this is Ryan and I's second attempt to record this episode because this movie is hard for me to talk about.
1: And I, I appreciate that honesty. And then obviously, we're we want to clarify, you know, I am not Mike's therapist Mike has, has his own therapist, but I do think that this is a forum that we can, as you talk about your own issues, that we can say, you know, you know, I'm not giving this feedback to you, Mike, as my patient, but I'm giving this feedback to people that might be experiencing similar issues. You know, I've worked in an in inpatient and outpatient settings and the power of, of support groups and group therapy and experiencing just exactly what you're talking about, that Pat and Tiffany experience, being able to talk with other people
0: who- Just openly. Yep.
1: Yeah, openly and who instantly understand without judgment, without awkwardness, without- And believe. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and totally will give you that validation. And and beyond validation, just being, being interested, wanting to know more about your experience, that that's so incredibly powerful. And to that extent, there are support groups out there for everything, being that it's Mental Health Awareness Week, NAMI, which is the National Association of Mental Illness, has in-person support groups all over the country. They're not always necessarily specifically tailored to, for example, bipolar, but they're often, you know, open forums for people to come in and talk or listen about. Whatever they might be dealing with, or other people right. might be dealing with, so that's it's available for people.
0: And I can say from personal experience, and I've been in inpatient and outpatient myself, that that is true. Uh, now, I've never like made a friend that like stuck afterwards. I I, I would have liked to, but these things are. You're kind of in a strange spot when you're made to go to like an inpatient for sure, but even if they don't have or they're not experiencing the exact same things as you, I did experience people with all sorts of different issues, exactly like Ryan just said, just immediately, you know, we could talk about our medications. That's, that's really neat because not everyone, you know, what, how, what dosage of Seroquil are you on? And and then we compare who gets the most tired on Seroquil and this kind of thing, because these are, these medicines can knock you out and stuff. And, and so, yeah, I think there's a, there's a ton of benefit to being in a setting. Uh, I mean, even hearing you talk about that is inspiring me to to find a group again.
1: It, it is really powerful. And, and just to slightly bring it back to the movie, this sort of other side of this token is that what happens as Pat and Tiffany sort of start to get closer and closer is that now this comparison thing starts to set in of who's crazier, who's worse, who's dealing with more serious stuff. Oh yeah. And that yep. that, that that can be a barrier for people mm-hmm. where if if they don't feel like they can relate or if the people that they are around start to judging because in what reality is happening is that they're actually judging themselves. Projection and stuff like that can happen. So it's it can be difficult and it is difficult for Pat and Tiffany as they get closer over the course of the movie. Mm-hmm. But whether it be for these characters or for for people out there in the real world listening to us, being able to sit with that discomfort as Pat and Tiffany did and experience a little bit of conflict essentially outside the diner, there is opportunity past that to then have a real relationship, even if that's just a friendship, you know, as, as you were asking before.
0: And that was a very powerful scene in the movie. And that that actually so they go to a diner and they sit down and we're we're at a point in the movie where he's He's obviously wanting to reconnect with his ex-wife. And I think in the diner is kind of when they start talking about getting the letter to the ex-wife. Is that right? That's right. I mean, he's pretty obsessive about it, trying to find ways to get in contact with his wife. But he can't. He has a restraining order. And, and this is kind of where the rest of the movie gets set up. Um, but it leads to a really powerful scene. He's going to write a letter and she's going to deliver it. To his ex-wife, her sister is friends with the ex-wife, so she's going to connect and get that letter to him. And so this was my question about this scene, because it really did pop up for me, was the only reason he sort of agreed to the diner experience was because there was something in it for him. And, and what did you think about that?
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because part of it was was encouraged by his therapist, which which we can also talk about. That's right. So Pat essentially agrees to to connecting with Tiffany on a more personal level because he sort of convinces himself, at the behest of his therapist, that this connection could lead to Pat proving that he is a person worthy of reconnecting um, with his ex-wife. So, so in that sense, that's what their relationship early on is built on.
0: Right, and so I, I kind of had issues with that uh, yeah. because because it, it's led by selfishness. There was nothing. Absolutely. There's nothing real here for him at the beginning. Uh, and Tiffany,
1: I think Tiffany acknowledges that as well, right? She she, she kind of says, "You're not doing anything for me. You're not giving anything up." And that's the sort of conceit where we start to deal with the dancing stuff.
0: So she says, "I can't give the letter to the kid. Tiffany, what are you talking about? What do you mean you can't keep the letter to Nikki? Because well, what am I getting in return? What are you doing for me? And she gets him to start coming, and she she likes to dance. She wants to train for a big dance off coming in December. But so I think we should I think we should talk about the therapist's recommendation here and what you think about that.
1: Obviously, therapists' approach differ widely. You know, just like uh, general practitioner doctors uh, have different bedside manners and different ways that they will encourage you to do certain things. Doctor Patel pretty directly tells pat that he should become friends with tiffany so we're, we're firmly in the advice of therapist giving advice territory which for me is, is is a little uncomfortable a quick break to talk about another great mental health podcast boys do cry hosted by ram reyes and paulina rodriguez ruiz boys do cry is a weekly podcast featuring real conversations about mental health And how the hosts are feeling on a week to week basis. If you want to hear real, vulnerable conversations between two people willing to be open about their mental health, you will love Boys Do Cry. They are available on all major distribution platforms, so definitely check out their show. And now back to Pop Psych 101.
0: And it was very uncomfortable for me because maybe it's because I've never had a therapist like that. I've had many therapists. Therapists that I've had, uh, my current one, who's been my all-time favorite, is a listener. Hmm. She she lets me go, and and that's as she's kind of figured out that's what I need. I'm just a, I'm a talker, uh, but you know I've had therapists though that that want to you know run through some exercises, but it's usually based on very much just me. But the thing that got me was he said, "You said Nikki's friends with Ronnie, Veronica, and Tiffany."
1: So if you become friends with Tiffany, Nikki will think that you're a kind, generous, large-hearted person who, who helps people in need, who is basically thriving. So
0: if you help Tiffany, it will be good for you. And I thought, what? Yeah. So I, I yeah.
1: Well, so yeah and, it's, <laughs> and it's funny because I would say that, you know, if I were Dr. Patel, if Pat had come to that conclusion on his own, I would be okay with supporting it. Okay. But for me to tell Pat to do that really, really removes a lot of the value in him, you know, uh, learning and growing and and not being like a weird, manipulative person, only out for his own gain. Right. So
0: instead of it becoming a selfish motivation, and maybe he wouldn't even have thought about that without the therapist, but now the motivation becomes selfish rather than an actual selfless thing where... It really would prove that he's he's kind of getting better, quote unquote. That kind of brings me to some questions about how often Pat talks about getting better and people's view on getting better, especially at the beginning of the movie. He talks a lot about. Like you said earlier, he's running, he's losing weight, but he's in a better place now, I think, Pat. Because this seems like his real, since he's just freshly diagnosed and he was never diagnosed before, but does admit that he dealt with this stuff his whole life, he just didn't know. But he thinks that he's going to get better. And that that kind of made me feel sad for him, in a way, because he hasn't realized yet that he's going to be dealing with this. Not in all cases, but in a lot of cases the stuff doesn't just go away. You don't just get better. It's a it's a constant maintenance sort of situation. And I was wondering if if you kind of saw that too. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because one of the things
1: that he says initially and then repeatedly throughout the movie is he has this statement or or key phrase, which for him is excelsior.
0: Yeah, excelsior. Excelsior.
1: And I think is Latin for like ever onward or ever upward or yeah. um, something to that degree. So yes, there's no question that he is, I won't say lying to himself, because to everyone else around Pat, he does seem to be doing better. He has lost weight. He is exercising. He is socializing. Yeah. So so the sort of hallmarkers that people would look at to to, to judge whether or not someone is doing good or not, mm-hmm. he does seem to be doing better. But right, I mean, especially the fact that he is so hung up on his ex-wife who the the viewer it's very clear that his ex-wife has moved on.
0: Yeah, like she's you know instantly that she's not coming back and this is a futile like attempt on his part. But Pat not only is
1: dead set on getting her back but is actually convinced that they're essentially still together, that their love story is going on. So to that extent and he acknowledges with his therapist in a separate session, he's dealing with some delusional beliefs more or less.
0: Uh, that got me thinking. So in the beginning of the movie, they set up the fact that here, here's what they tell you. They tell you he, he beat the guy up and he also had a delusion about the wife and the 10 year teacher that she had an affair with that they were plotting on him it, it, stealing money.
1: Yes. So he, he called the cops on his, uh, his wife at the time and the alleged or aforementioned history teacher Accusing them of plotting against him by stealing money or or
0: embezzling or something like that. Okay, so he says these two things. But they were really the only clear examples of something that had happened. But everyone around him is acting like like he was the craziest person that they ever met in their entire life at the beginning of the movie. Like they were like almost afraid of him when he came around. And I, I'm wondering if if this is... If it's not telling us everything, was there a whole, do you think there was a whole lot more going on that we just don't know about?
1: Yeah, so we, we do know that there is a restraining order against Pat. Mm-hmm. We know that when he tries to visit the school that one of the teachers that he knew sort of freaks out when she sees him, clearly in a certain amount of fear. He tries to convince her that everything is okay. He's good, he's good, he's good. But yeah, I mean, there is, there is a general discomfort around Pat for most people when they they see him coming back around. So yeah, there's for sure there, there's probably things that we we did not see about how he was acting. Yeah.
0: Okay. And, and the reason I, I bring this up is because it was very clear to me that there was a whole lot more going on. We find out about the couple of bigger things, but if he's scaring, you know, people outside of that situation, then he was having some things go on that aren't mentioned in the movie. But so that brings me to, I have questions about people's very specifically bipolar people. I think from, from just what I know that there's a pretty negative viewpoint to bipolar people. There's a pretty scary people seem to be scared of bipolar people from, from my experience. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard for me to explain. Okay. So I'm bipolar two, And, and I feel like I want to explain to people that I'm not bipolar one and then I feel like I am also putting bipolar one people into that same sort of scary, psychotic category. And i just wondering how, how prevalent is this sort of feeling? Do you Is this something that you've heard about? Is this a, a normal thing or am I just sort of off base here?
1: No, no, it's absolutely a normal thing. You know, I think, unfortunately, as I was talking before about this sort of tendency for people to compare themselves to others, we naturally want to sort of have a positive bias with ourselves that we're not that bad. And Mm -hmm. to whatever degree that happens, whether it's diagnosis, uh, just general health for Pat, it comes up when, you know, later in in the movie, he goes to the Eagles game, even though he gets in this physical altercation, he comes back and he tries to tell his dad, like, I'm good. I'm good. I was good. I was good. When uh, objectively speaking, he was not good. He was not able to, resist the, the, the physical altercation that was happening 15 feet away from
0: him. For, but from my perspective, like he didn't get into that fight because of his mental issue, but it's blamed on it. He got into that fight because someone hit his brother, and I think it was a natural reaction to defend his brother. So there's the natural reaction
1: of, I need to defend my brother, and then there's something that happens in between natural reaction and can't stop punching a guy in the face. Oh, I got you.
0: Yeah. So taking it from I'm 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 I have to take care of the situation. I have to protect my brother, pull him out of here. Uh, But now you're just pummeling someone and like seeing red. And it's not even about that at some point because your your aggression takes over. And it's
1: similar to what happens between him and his parents earlier in the movie before he starts being willing to be on his medication, which is that seemingly he's under control and then something sets him off. You know, at this point, it was he wanted oh, to see God. his wedding video, wedding video, which at first glance is a normal OK thing. Granted, I think it was three or four o'clock in the morning. OK, that's a little weird.
0: Yeah, I saw some mania stuff going on. there. Yeah,
1: for sure. For sure. But then it devolves from, to, from, from there to, you know, his parents sort of being willing to help him. But because they can't, he starts getting paranoid. It builds and builds and builds. He accidentally hits his mom. Then his dad has to physically restrain him. So... So you're absolutely right that there are, there are I guess, uh, appropriate responses that Pat exhibits to the uh, environment around him. But then there is a break for him, and, and he acknowledges when he's talking to his therapist that he has essentially mood swings or weird thoughts, quote-unquote weird thoughts, brought on yeah. by, by serious stress. So that's what happens for Pat, that he's unable to control these impulsive actions when that stress reaches that high point.
0: So this gets me thinking, we're talking a lot about bipolar people today and, and you're, you're kind of mentioning some symptoms that he had. I was wondering if you could kind of go over for maybe listeners that have no clue what bipolar is and we're just throwing words out at them. What is, what is a bipolar? What does that look like? Sure. So
1: as you mentioned, there are different forms of bipolar disorder. You were talking before about what's commonly known as bipolar 2, but really with both diagnoses, there's this general assumption of some aspect of peaks and valleys with mood. So that means that people can be susceptible both to uh, elevated mood or average mood and then a dip right. in um, into a really low mood.
0: A person without any sort of uh, mental health issues, they have elevated moods and and lowered moods. So what? What, what would, what's the difference between, I, I'm, just, you know, I'm, kind of, I'm trying to think like, from a person's perspective, they would say, well, my mood gets elevated. What, how does that make them any different?
1: Sure. So to be more specific, for example, bipolar one disorder, people have manic episodes. And we say manic um, mania is essentially defined by impulsive behavior, impulsive thinking, extremely elevated mood And these episodes last at least in some cases seven days or manic symptoms that are so severe that the person needs immediate hospital care. And conversely, depressive episodes occur as well. They can last uh, at least two weeks. So you're seeing these extreme ups and downs that are lasting for very long periods of time, unlike what most people think of as quote unquote mood swings where, you know, sometimes I have a good day, sometimes I have a bad day. No, it's much more intense than that.
0: So, yeah, so that's that's kind of the big difference that I, I'm trying to have people understand is, is it, a person with a bipolar disorder, when they go up, uh, just like Bradley Cooper's character, he's been – he comes out of the hospital in a manic state and is in a manic state for the first part of the movie because when they go up, that's where they are. And a lot of them feel great. They think they feel great anyway. They think they feel great. When they come down, they come crashing down, and 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 these moods are, and if you don't have it, these moods go, they surpass a regular, normal, stable mood. These these feelings of a feeling of energy that you never have. You become goal oriented more than you can imagine, and. Uh, hyper focused uh, in a in a very negative way sometimes where you're blocking some things out you shouldn't be blocking out and focusing on things that maybe you shouldn't be focusing on in turn when you go to the lows you have yeah very depressive <laughs> trap yourself in the dark sort of situation lows and and I just wanted to kind of clear up that that these that these mood swings are like you said it's not like oh i was i didn't feel good earlier today it's a this constant like berating shift in your
1: mood absolutely yeah that's that's well well described because just like other uh mental health symptoms unfortunately quote-unquote being bipolar like oh i'm so bipolar today you know, it can it can be referenced in a way that minimizes the extent to which bipolar people actually experience these extremes. And as we sort of talk about some of these attempts that Pat has to improve himself, I actually had a question for you, Mike. Yeah. So Pat has Excelsior, right? Which is this sort of mm-hmm. statement he uses to remind himself of what he's trying to accomplish. In therapy terms, we might call that a grounding statement or an affirmation, something okay. that people have to remind them of what their goals are, what what they should be focusing on. And I'm dropping this on you, but if you had to identify what your version of Excelsior is...
0: Oh, I already know it. It was funny. I knew where you were going with this. Okay. Uh, I do have one, actually. It's it's this. It's going to sound weird. It's, we are almost dead. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Okay. Okay. So, and this is a feeling of relief for me. So, I see a lot of people... uh, and I put it in different ways, but that's the basic gist. Uh, people don't seem to realize how short our lives are. And I just have this constant firm grasp on the fact that I know how short my life is. And so I'm always, I'm always wanting to make sure that I'm taking in the moments when I can. It's kind of wrapped around the fact that I just, and I you know, I talk to my therapist all the time, and I'm just like, we're so, you know, we just things are, we don't have time. There's no time to waste. That's actually probably a better way to put it. There's no time to waste.
1: That's a great one. You know, it's that's that's a uh, very stoic of you, very stoicism, <laughs> um, stoicism centered. So that's, yeah, that's that's great. That's
0: probably why that's probably why I like that episode that you made on your other podcast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so as as we you know follow Pat's progress from Excelsior to. To struggles, one of the moments that we sort of briefly referenced before was you know he has this moment in at an eagles game he 's there with his brother his his dad is betting you know all this money on him going to the eagles game, and he's going to have good juju at the eagles game. he runs into his therapist, which is something that happens in the real world. no problem so far, and then the other Eagles fans uh come by and Make some particularly disparaging remarks about Pat's therapist, Dr. Patel mm-hmm. and the people that are with dr. Patel, and a fight breaks out. Pat is as we mentioned before, sort of unable to restrain himself from defending both his brother and to a certain extent Dr. Patel as well, since those are the people that were being spoken ill about so it was it was really interesting for me, and as you mentioned before in our sort of first attempt to talk about this, this was a a moment in the movie that we were both really interested in, I think, for for maybe different reasons. For me, obviously, as a therapist, sometimes you're going to run into your patients in the real world. It happens. And I think this is one of the few moments in the movie that I actually really like Dr. Patel. Really? So so to the extent that Dr. Patel essentially acknowledges Pat, he says, um, yes. I'm, in, I'm your brother in green today. I think he says something along those lines because they're both Eagles fans. As a therapist, my my general approach with something like this is: I'm never going to acknowledge my patients in public. I'm not going to be the first person to acknowledge. I should say, right? If they want to acknowledge me, if they want to interact with me, totally fine, no
0: problem. Do they? Do they teach you that in school? Uh, more or less. Okay, because I had a th- had a therapist who told me that same thing. He said, "If I ever see you in public, I'll never acknowledge you. If you feel like ta- you can talk to me, right? And essentially, because it falls under confidentiality,
1: that if if you know, I saw a patient on the street or in a store. And I said, oh, John, how you doing? And John's with his with his whoever friends, wife, brother, somebody who doesn't know he's in therapy.
0: And he knows you're a therapist.
1: That's right. He's now in a position where he has to answer maybe some really uncomfortable, awkward questions. And I may have just inadvertently broken his Out confidentiality. Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. right. So so that's why that policy is pretty standard for most therapists.
0: My big thing was. Even the initial, so he walks up. Now Pat is the one that says hello. Correct, yes. he sees him and is like, "Whoa, what are you doing here?" That's right. But I thought his reaction was weird. I thought it should have been more of a glad to see you, but it was more of a, an embracing, like let's hang out act, like response.
1: Yeah, and I think that's well. Well, I, I can't speak for Doctor Patel, but I would <laughs> I would say that is most likely based in the earnest interest that Pat has in interacting with him. So once that's sort of put out, you know, Dr. Patel and and therapists are free to do this. They are free to interact with their patients. If, if they are comfortable and if the patients are comfortable, the danger comes in when it's a dual relationship. So later on in the scene, as we mentioned, the, the fight breaks out and then Pat and his brother all go home. So this is the problem, uh, okay. right? So this is the problem uh, is I that doctor, is Dr. Patel Comes with Pat to Pat's house,
0: <laughs> and 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 there, yes, he goes to Pat's house, and it, you know what it reminded me of? A bunch of teenagers in trouble. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I'm like, and I'm seriously thinking, why is the therapist with them? And and he hardly speaks, right? He
1: only asks about, you know, later on in the scene, he asks a, a gambling question, but he doesn't need to be there for any yeah, reason. Yeah. He's
0: not there to be like, to be like, I'm his therapist. This is what uh, happened. Was, right? He was yeah, acting yeah. in good intentions, although no, he does no. scream that once. But yeah. he—he's not. He doesn't have a shirt on. I don't think. Um, i, don't I re- see-
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I believe you. I don't remember that exactly. The, the I'm,
0: I'm pretty sure he's shirtless. Level to uh, which he dressed. Don't hold me to it. <laughs> but which makes it even worse if he is. So I know in his, my I know mind, his face
1: is painted. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, but but it's just like it felt inappropriate. I yeah. suppose.
1: No, it is. And, and that's where I would draw the line, that if this incident took place, okay, in this extreme situation, you're a therapist, your patient is maybe being arrested, you know, you could advocate for him to that point. Once he leaves the scene, I would say, uh, unless he's being hospitalized for mental health issues, which he is not, your interaction and responsibility, I would say, should probably end there. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, so that was, that was difficult for me.
0: Definitely, and so okay, so I think we should really jump into the the progress of Tiffany and Pat's relationship. Uh, we kind of talked about how they met, but I think we can kind of dive in for, further and what that ended up being. And and I think my big questions are here: is what this means for their future? What does this mean for people dealing with this stuff in their in real life's future? These kind of things.
1: For sure. And and you know, obviously the movie from a movie standpoint shifts gears into a more romantic comedy like uh montage. The training scenes, the 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 dancing with Pat's friend Danny comes by on Mm -hmm. multiple occasions. So it's this very sort of lighthearted, you know, we're not talking about the fact that they're both mentally ill. We're now we're just focused on this dance competition. You know, as a side note, my understanding is that this is this is a little bit of a deviation from the book,
0: and this is where, uh, and we never got the chance to talk about the first time around. But this is where my big problem in the movie begins is that I think the first act is an incredible representation of what it's like to be bipolar. It's very it's presented in a very confusing way. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things happening. It's hard to explain if you haven't seen the movie, but just give it a watch. There's a lot of things happening that just seem to be happening. They're showing it from the perspective of Pat's character. It feels very manic. As Pat starts to feel better, as he's taking his medication, the movie sort of slows down. However, where it lost me, and not that it's not a good movie, but where it lost me in the the realm of a uh, looking at it from the perspective that we're trying to look at, it was the movie did just totally switch from what seemed to be an examination of a very serious mental health issue into this romantic comedy. And it it totally just, I mean, it just dropped all that stuff, basically. It was almost like not mentioned again, really.
1: Yeah, you know, if you started watching the movie around the the dance montage, you wouldn't even know that they were, struggling with mental illness issues at that point you know the only real sign once they get to the competition tiffany kind of has some like interpersonal discomfort and distrust with pat and then goes over to the bar and starts drinking so uh, certainly a sign of her previous impulsive behavior
0: but you wouldn't know that if, exactly like you right. said because right. she could be nervous she could be angry sure. at the pat character because yep. in the big dance scene at the end that they've been training for all movie the ex-wife does show up Yes, right. But it doesn't it doesn't play to any I guess that was my issue was the fact that the movie was absolutely set up as sort of an examination of this issue he has. It's all it really talked about for the first 30 or 40 minutes of the movie and then it just kind of went away. So I don't really know like I think that might even be why this movie's hard to talk about cuz it just switched gears on me.
1: And and not only does it switch gears, but then it sort of just glosses over what as you alluded to, what their future is going to be like. So in the movie, you know, they they end up together. You know, like any good romantic comedy,
0: which which was which was a beautiful scene. And and oh yeah, I was super happy for him. But it it got me thinking. You know,
1: yeah, that that these two should presumably they remain in a relationship together. This is not going to be easy. She still lives with his with her parents. They're both still unemployed. You know, there are a lot of he
0: lives with his parents. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah.
1: So, so you know, for, for two people in, at the very least, their late 20s to mid-30s to to be embarking on a relationship in which they both have mental illness issues, untreated at times. We don't know if Tissany's in therapy or on medication.
0: Yeah, they don't specifically say what's going on with right. her. You get the idea that she's got issues. And a lot of them, like you said, were based around the fact that her fiancé died, but but definitely the issues were pre-existing to that. But it there's just sort of a, a disconnect between the love story and the mental stuff. So I, I guess here's what I'm thinking. Like you said, they get together and they kiss at the end of the movie and the movie ends happily ever after. And I'm si- sitting here in my chair going, well, this isn't going to be happily ever after.
1: Right. So, yeah. It reminded me of of The Graduate, which okay. which sort of deals with this very intense, essentially affair, right? And then the end of the movie, you see the reality of the situation dawning on um, Dustin Hoffman, where it's like, oh yeah, we're 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 leaving together. Oh oh no, <laughs> what what next? Yeah, and and that I think is what this movie needed is like. It's it can be great that these two have found each other.
0: It doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? That's yeah. right.
1: And and it, we can be happy and excited for them. But this is the start of a potentially very difficult journey. You know that is that is not going to be smooth by any nature.
0: Like we said, it starts off, and and they're both going through something very heavy at the beginning, and it just shows them. Oh, they're all better now, and and now we can live how ha- and we can kiss, and and we're all good and. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, he's going to have another episode. I mean, he's going to. If he's bipolar, if he ever gets off his meds, or even if his meds stop working as well, and he needs an up and dose, his mood's going to shift. Uh, what if, what if, whatever the, she has depressive periods that she's talked about, uh, she's going to have depressing periods. What if these both clash at the same time? So yeah, I'm sitting here thinking this is going to be a ro- a rock and roll relationship we're looking at.
1: Yeah, so to that degree, as a therapist, I'm I'm very concerned about them. There was a, a terrible saying when I worked in inpatient substance abuse, because frequently people would start relationships in the inpatient program. So so therapists would say, and and you know, forgive us, but uh, two sickies don't make a welly. Oh, and, I've actually and, heard that before. And and essentially, you know, it's a little crass, and and we certainly don't mean to to demean the. The seriousness of what both people are experiencing, but essentially two people who are going through the the intense recovery mm-hmm. that is required to to get well um, are probably not in a place to help each other do that effectively.
0: And I'm going to absolutely agree with that. Uh, I was talking earlier about how I have such an amazing support system, especially in my wife, and and I'm not and like I say, I'm not trying to knock it if anyone has a relationship where you're both going through something and I hope you guys are just there backing each other up. And I understand the fact that that person gets you more than anyone else, but uh, like my wife is my rock and I couldn't imagine if I was having a very going through an episode and I needed her and she was having an episode and she wasn't there. Yeah. It would, it would, it would be destructive for me. So it just, for me, I was just worried at the end of the movie (laughs) more than happy.
1: Yeah, and and to that degree, you know, the end is is not really an end. It's sort of a glossed-over, very pretty
0: ending. He pulls a big romantic move. The only way you can meet my crazy... Crazy was was
1: by doing something crazy yourself. Thank you. I love you. I knew it the minute I met you. I'm sorry it took so long for me to catch up. I just got stuck. Pat. I wrote that a week ago.
0: You wrote that a week ago? Yes, I did. You let me lie to you for a week?
1: I was trying to be romantic.
0: I mean, I have, I have thoughts on the movie as a movie, but I have thoughts the other way too, so. So yeah, so let's jump into that. Let's talk
1: about our, our ratings for this movie, because I'm sure we'll, we both have... Uh, Particular issues and 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 thoughts about that.
0: Okay, so you did mention that you might want to switch up how we
1: rate it this week. I do because as we've discussed throughout this episode, both because it's mental health mental health awareness week, and and because this movie was particularly difficult for you both to watch and and to to process.
0: And notice how as we got past the part of the, when they stopped really dealing with it in the movie, and how much easier it was for me to talk about it. Right. It just. It yeah. It, I I didn't realize how much this stuff was going to trigger me as it went into it. Um. But I I do think it's incredibly important to talk about it anyway. If that makes sense. Yeah. No.
1: Absolutely does. So I guess the question I would have for you as you read it would be you know on a scale of one to five dance steps or okay, um, uh... <laughs> or one to five silver linings one to five yeah Uh,
0: i like the dance steps let's do so i'm gonna do i'm gonna do the rating this week where i rate it on a scale of one to five of its accuracy and ryan is going to rate it on a scale of one to five as a movie uh normally we would do that opposite being that i'm not the professional here but i but i would think that if any time i know a lot about one of these things we're talking about it's this one
1: that's right so with that being said Mike, on a scale of one to five dance steps, how do you rate Silver Linings Playbook?
0: One to five dance steps. I mean, this is tough because when they talked about it, they nailed it. Uh, they, I mean, they really did. They even, the way they shot it and filmed it, it even made me feel a little manic watching it. It's very speedy. Um, he's talking really fast, he's got a lot of big ideas. Uh, for the future and uh, he's super focused on working, you know, it's a whole, but then the movie drops it. And so I'm having a hard time here deciding. Okay. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with a four. I'm going to go with a four because it nailed it at the beginning of the movie. And I'm not going to hold the fact that the movie dropped it because that doesn't take away from the fact that they did show us what being bipolar is like. Hmm. Never mind I'm gonna take I'm calling it a three I just thought of it okay, so it's a three because they didn't show us uh, enough of what recovery an- is like. They showed us what it was like to be manic. Uh, they showed him take two pills and then we've switched to a romantic comedy after that. So
1: it's a three. Okay, so there you go. So on a scale of one to five dance steps, Mike Graham identifies it as a three in terms of how <laughs> realistic it is and and not that I'm giving you this option, but I imagine if you split the movie up, into like we were talking about those those first 30 to 40 minutes. Yeah. And then the, the second half, which is more of the romantic comedy, fluffy, happy part. Yeah. That the that the first thirty or forty minutes might be that four or five. And yes, then yes. everything it, after that is sort of what takes it away.
0: If you are wondering what it's like to be bipolar, if you have a family member that is bipolar. There, You can watch the first part of this movie and, and see real symptoms of bipolar and hear about real medicines that bipolar people take to deal with it. It's very, very accurate. Uh, I think that I just, I think I, I yeah, what would you have rated it? <laughs> so, yeah, so it's funny that, that you ask. As
1: you were going through, I felt myself agreeing, because I got to be honest, when I was watching the movie... I think I was letting my enjoyment of the movie get the best of me. And I was like, Oh, this is such a great movie. It's gotta be a five and, and I'll go into why. But as we've talked about it, I do think that, you know, your
0: opinion has shifted, especially because it's very true. He takes yeah. the two pills and they sort of just let it go. It's yeah. not like that, you know? Right.
1: And to that degree, it's, that's not what it's really like. It, it can be great for us to acknowledge how, Very important
0: that you rate it too. We need to know the real
1: rating. No, I know. That's fine. <laughs> but I think um one of the reasons that that I wanted to rate it a five also was because even the screwed up parts, you know, the therapists that I don't totally love, I know some therapists are like that. The the Philadelphia Eagles fans that we don't totally love, I know <laughs> I know Eagles fans are like that. So there was a lot of authenticity to this movie. There was. Even though there was some problematic elements to it. So, you know, I wanted to, to I think, acknowledge that authenticity. But because what we're trying to do here is tell people how accurate uh, this uh, media reflects mental health issues, mm-hmm. we, we cannot rate it a five because life is not a romantic comedy. That's right.
0: Uh, so I'm glad that, it, and it's re- it's really neat how we're doing this because uh, we don't really tell each other a lot of opinions beforehand. So it's fun to kind of just run and discover this stuff together, and stumble upon the fact that we really don't agree with the, with a five on this one. So okay, Ryan, you gotta now you gotta rate this. Uh, what are you gonna do for your move? You're just gonna rate it on the level of your movie enjoyment, one to five, uh, whatever it is you want to do. Okay, so
1: uh, let's just say one to five stars. I I do rate this movie on a pure movie entertainment value of five. Me too. Yeah, it was a great movie. (laughs) Because, and I was so excited that we decided to watch it, and I watched it multiple times. The first time through, I didn't even take any notes. I just watched it.
0: That's what I see. That was my problem. That's what I did both times. I just kept watching. I watched it twice, and I just was like, I cried three times. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) And, you know, and then taking notes, I, I found myself really appreciating even the things that I disagree with, whether it was the therapist or the annoying Philadelphia Eagles fans. I, I you know, I should probably admit that I am a, um, a Washington born and bred sports fan. So every time the Eagles insignia came up on, on the screen, I cringed a little bit. But, but to that extent, that's, that's what it feels like in real life when I deal with Eagles fans. So pretty authentic. <laughs> so it's hard for me to argue with Um, and to that extent you know every award and acknowledgement this movie got was well deserved I rated a five totally a
0: five okay guys so we are going to be getting out of here but I did want to tell you guys we know that we have done three movies in a row and we did talk about uh, the fact that we are going to be doing books and television shows as well so uh, look forward to episode four not being a movie. Uh, we've already decided what that's going to be, which we'll we'll talk about uh, later in the week. After you listen to this, you'll hear about it towards the end of the week. But I just wanted to, to make sure you guys knew that this is we're not only going to be doing movies around here. So, Ryan, this has been great.
1: Yeah, thank you, Mike, and thank you for everything you shared about on this Mental Health Awareness Week to the listeners. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week, and I look forward to talking about different types of media in the future. Awesome. Okay, so a lot of important takeaways from Silver Linings Playbook for anyone struggling with mental illness issues, for them or their families. For family members of people struggling with issues like Pat, it's important to know that even if they say they are ready or doing better, it is usually a good idea to follow whatever medical advice they might be receiving. That includes staying an inpatient if recommended, going to therapy, and taking medication. It can be hard to set firm boundaries on these issues, as your loved one will want to prove they don't need these things but they will be better off for the support these things can offer them. Secondly, if you are experiencing anything like bipolar disorder, take your prescribed medication if it's prescribed to you. Like Mike shared and as Pat experienced, there will be times when you will feel like you don't need it, but that is when the medication is working, and going off of it is not going to make things better. Finally, often in movies, people can improve from serious illnesses seemingly overnight, Pat starts taking his meds and takes some dance lessons and we forget all about the physical altercations and other symptoms from earlier in the movie. But this is just the start of the recovery process for him. Remember that recovery from mental illness is a long road, often filled with ups and downs, and that continuous use of the support around you is the best path to success. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you to my executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. See the show notes for links to those pages. We are now on all major podcast distribution channels, so please subscribe, rate, and review our show. We would greatly appreciate it. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstead. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.